Safer. Uh, my name is Edwin. I'm uh, somebody who's listened to your podcast. Um, I realise you've not um, done a, a cast for quite a while. Um, first, I want to hope that you're well um, and that there's no sinister reason behind it. Um, there may be some very good reasons for not um, podcasting. But I thought it worth saying that if one of them is that you think people weren't listening um, or aren't interested in what you're saying, it's not true. I think what you have put out is an excellent um, thought-provoking series of episodes. Um, And I hope that, if possible, you'll continue. Bye now. I, I hear the spirit of Christmas present, Edwin. Um, you seem more fair and pleasant than the first spirit. Uh, but I have to say I'm still shocked. Thank you for your kind words. But, it, Edwin, spirit, are you there? Where have you gone? Am I talking to my dreams? He said there would be three. I fear the last. Hello, my friend. Just want to let you know that playing the Back to the Future board game with my family, although that's fun, and rereading the books of youth is sort of, you know, both those things, you know, giving it a nostalgia and revisiting my youth and then playing a board game that is just time travel, touch on time travel, but neither have the joy and wonder and discovery of listening to Safer Fantasy Crafting podcasts talking about time travel. So I just want to let you know that that would be a great Christmas present. But that said, since I brought that up, I hope you and yours have a happy holidays, regardless of what those holidays are. And I hope to hear your voice in the new year. Take care. Uh, you, you must be the... The ghost of Christmas future. This is who I fear the most, spirit. I, I'm sorry. I did not mean. Thank you. I will change. I will try. I will try, spirit, I promise. I don't know if I can be as good as 
You hope, but I will try. I will try. What? What time? What time is it? Oh, happy day! Happy day! I still have time. I still have time. I can get a podcast out. I can get a podcast out. Oh, Merry Christmas! So, hello and uh, welcome and Merry Christmas and all the best to you. Uh, welcome to uh, episode two, I suppose, of season three of the CFI Fantasy Crafting Podcast. It's been a while, it's been quite a gap, and I couldn't quite remember which episode we were up to. I did say I was hoping to get up to perhaps 12 series by uh, Christmas, but that obviously hasn't happened. Um, and uh, I hope you didn't mind my little bit of ham acting at the front. I just thought it would be a nice little way to introduce the two messages that I got from uh, Edwin and from Jason which have helped me back to the mic. Um, There's no real reason why I've been away. Um, uh, I haven't been ill or anything. I haven't had any good justified reason. I've just just been been lazy. Couldn't think of anything to say. Um, After my last episode, the sci-fi episode, I got some messages, uh, which I'm going to play later, uh, from Jason, from Goblin's Henchman, from uh, John Large and from uh, Menion. And uh, I did say I'd, I wasn't really looking for messages at the end of that podcast, and then I, I got a load of them, so that might be the way to do it, but a ne- negative uh, psychology in the future if you want to get more messages. But um, I thought it's about time I perhaps honoured uh, their messages and uh, put them out there and perhaps put a response. Although the thing was, because I didn't really know what I was talking about, about sci-fi, uh, I didn't know what really to say, because I think I might just let them play out and... Let them let them speak for themselves. I think uh, there's not that much I can add to what they say because they obviously they're they're more informed and they they're wiser words than I can uh, say or know about sci-fi games. So, but I'll play them in a moment. But because I didn't know what to say to them, I thought perhaps I need to combine them with something else to make it a bit of a longer podcast. And I thought about combine. I thought about um, combine them. I thought I'll do a review of some traveller scenarios from Old White Dwarf um, or uh, magazine issues and I thought I found I was looking through and I found four of them and I thought um perhaps if I reviewed them it would perhaps be give examples and reasons why I never really liked Traveller. Uh, or never I never thought about playing Traveller back in the eighties because I think one of the things that the editorial team at White Dwarf didn't realise was that the only way we had of knowing what a game would be like or how get an idea of a feel for a game or a taste for a game was from what they were putting in the White Dwarf magazine. And if it wasn't particularly, you know, attention-grabbing uh, or it didn't seem particularly interesting, uh, no one would pick it up. And of these four scenarios that I was looking at, I only liked one of them. And the other three, I thought two of them were quite bland and insipid, quite railroady. And the last one was actually, when I read through it, it was a nice little read. It was a nice article to read in a magazine. But it's actually, when I thought about it, it's possibly the worst scenario I could ever imagine running, either playing in as a player or having to run as a GM. So I thought about doing a little review of them after putting uh, the people's messages out. But then I thought, well, actually, that's just more whinging, isn't it? I'm just uh, being negative again. And um, to address Jason's 
uh, obvious elephant in the room about the, the time travel uh, episode I was planning. Um, when I got into it, I realised kind of just like time, it just expanded uh, and multiple streams and I just it just got too big. It just got too big and I couldn't deal with it. Um, when I was thinking about all the things I wanted to say and uh, all the things I wanted to reference, things that are movies and books, uh, some some movies and books that I don't have anymore. And I realised I'm going to have to... Uh, have to research this you know i'm gonna to have to look at all these old sources and double check on them make sure i don't misquote them and then there was so much i wanted to say i thought well i'm, I'm getting the stage i'm gonna to have to script this i'm gonna to to script an episode like this and frankly i mean i did a little bit of sound editing there at the start but when it gets to the point where i'm having to research items and script podcasts that's a bit too much for me frankly um i'm i much prefer the sort of gonzo off the cuff uh mistake ridden method if that is a method uh, of making a podcast um so I, I kind of thought well i'll just put that on the back burner and then i thought i'll try i heard something um dave aldridge was talking about how about theories on gaming and different how different theories from different disciplines had been that people applied to role-playing games so people had applied theories about computer games to role-playing games and how they'd applied uh, theories about, say, movies to role-playing games and how they didn't really fit. And he was talking about perhaps how the, the philosophies and theories about dialogue might be a better fit. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, I had a, I've uh, suffered a bit of corporate brainwashing. I know a bit about all that corporate teamwork and good communication stuff. And I thought, is there any value in there for playing role-playing games? And then I thought, no, actually... That's just a load of business bollocks, isn't it? And I just thought, ah, that's no good either. So I just couldn't come up with any good ideas, and that's the only reason I've been away. But there's my not much of an excuse. I've been rambling for a good five minutes now. So what I'll do is I'll just put the messages that I got from uh, the good people about my sci-fi um, episode, if you can remember that far back. Uh, and I think it's Jason to go first. Oh, I will just say, um, Jason was the only one to complete my little survey that I did at the start of my sci-fi episode. So thanks for that, Jason. Uh, your name will go into the uh, the draw for the uh, Christmas prize of a, a Marinette Incorporated service droid. Okay, take it away. Sorry for the sound quality. I'm driving in the car using the mic. You're supposed to make phone calls through because I'm being good and doing hands-free. So to answer the survey, yes, not applicable, yes, science fiction. And with that, I'll go and listen to the rest of the show. Okay, my friend, after listening to your episode, I know you don't want calls, but too bad. So this will be the calls you don't want to hear. Um, I like sci-fi better because it's easier to pronounce the names. Um <laughs> You know, if you have near sci-fi like Blade Runner, then I don't think you have as much technobabble and all that junk. I never got into the technobabble stuff either. But, I don't know, I never really got into fantasy. I, I played D&D, of course, but I've always um, gravitated towards other games. Gangbusters, Top Secret, Gamma World. Gamma World was a big sci-fi game. Superheroes, stuff like that, so I don't know. By the way, I don't think it's fantasy versus sci-fi. I agree with you. It's Dungeons and Dragons versus everything. But, yeah, I I don't know. I like horror games. I, I think I like all the games better than horror, fantasy, but I have to play fantasy because that's what everybody else plays. Okay, say so for time travel games, I've found most of them. Um, you know, I really like 
time travel media. Although, to be honest, I think probably Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Time Bandits might do it best because the conceits of those movies, right? And I think Bill and Ted might be a ba- good way to base your games around where, well, at least a video game, where you have coins. And so the phone booth can only go as many times as you have coins to operate it, right? And so what that means is you can only time travel X amount of times a session. And what you do with that is you can use it like Bill and Ted do to cause effects in the game, right? So, hey, hey, Bill, remember to put the keys behind the sign. And they spend one of their coins. And, of course, you know, when they look behind the sign, they're the keys, right? So I think that works. I don't, I'm not saying that's the only way to do a time travel game, but I think that's one way you could do it. Um, it's hard, though. The biggest problem I face with time travel games are most people want them to, you know, they say, I don't know enough about history. I'm not big enough into history to do a time travel game. When I pitched a Time Bandits game, you know, I had to pitch it, well, it be like Bill and Ted. It'll be kind of like, you, you know, modern pop version of history. Because people just don't know, there are so many people that are worried they don't know the history and they're scared to try to play an historical game, which effectively a time travel game would end up being, right? It doesn't have to be. Star Trek has time travel, and there's nothing historical about it. But I don't know. It's a difficult genre, and I look forward to your thoughts on it. Okay, thank you for that, Jason. But I've just realised that if you're the only one in the prize draw, yeah, it means you're already going to win that service draw, don't you? But I've uh, so I've put the prize through for you. But I've just had a check. Uh, the only uh, delivery depot, the nearest one they've got, is actually an Alpha Centauri system. So that's uh, four point three seven light years away. So at a delivery speed of uh, light speed, it's still going to take four point three seven light years to get here. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be worth your while downloading the Marinette Incorporated's um, uh, tracker app for that. Uh, could take a while, I think, to get through. Perhaps that means I imagine Amazon Galactic might not be a business opportunity for old Jeff there. But um, <laughs> uh, thanks for your comments as well about um, you know what you were saying about Bill and Ted. I did think about Bill and Ted, and actually what you said there, you summarised it quite well. I might just cut and paste that in if I do if I do do a episode on time travel. I might just cut that straight in and just save me a lot of effort. So I think the Bill and Ted type uh, that time machine it's actually going to act as a sort of fate point isn't it it's going to be an excuse for like a fate point that's actually what the bill and ted uh, phone booth is uh but thanks for that jason take care all the best hi saver goblins henchman back here again nice nice try to try to convince us that you're not a scouser by double double bluffing us with the scouser accent um but no seriously uh um i, I won't believe you're uh, i won't believe that you're uh from New, Newcastle until we hear the the Gaza version of Fog of the Tyne come out of your fair lips. <laughs> uh, sci-fi, yeah, I'm same same boat as you. I've never really been into the idea. I don't know what it is. I like my sci-fi. I watch a lot of it. Um, I've even only in the last week or so bought Blake Seven on DVD, or should I say Blake Seven on DVD? As a kid, I never really saw it, and I had many references to it growing up um but uh, never had the, the opportunity i'm quite enjoying it because it's not sci- it's not the the sort of established sci-fi it still feels free of all of the sort of tropes that have become embedded in, in most other sci-fi all right cheers fog in the tines i'll mine i'll mine fog in the tines i'll mine <laughs> is that good enough for you there uh, goblins that's your christmas present i'm afraid that's all i've got for you um thank you for that message uh 
yeah, it seems that um, well, actually, you're not the only one who mentioned more about the um, the, the language, the, the 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 accents that I was. Uh, Menion mentions a bit about what I was saying about accents and things later on, but um, it's nice to hear that you're in the same boat as me. That I've I've got some sympathy that someone else who doesn't isn't really into sci-fi role-playing games and doesn't really know why. Now, it's nice to know that someone else is just as confused as I am. Um, but the Blake's Seven, uh, I have got fond memories of that show as a child, and um, I, I watched a someone redone it. They've done like they've added CGI, and there's a YouTube video. I can't remember what, it's a while ago I saw it. But someone's like added um, uh, added some like special lighting effects in that, and it does look quite good. It could looks quite nice. Some of the CGI they put on the spaceships. Um, I think there's a whole episode where uh, fan fic type episode on YouTube, um, but. I don't want to upset some Blake Seven. One of my friends was a really big Blake Sevens fan, and he probably killed me for what I'm going to say. I can just remember it as being a bit of a. It seemed like a bit of a Star Trek ripoff to me, um, but like a gritty, low budget British version of Star Trek. I mean, there was one episode which was very much like Star Trek, um, where they're put on a planet uh, and there's two separate people and they've got to fight each other. There's that one where the Kirk's got to fight the, got to fight the. Uh, the lizard man, and there's a, there's a one where Blake's got to fight the, the guy with the eye patch, and they seem almost identical episodes to me. But I, I'm, perhaps my memory's wrong. I just remember it being very much like Star Trek to me, the episodic uh, element of it, just a more gritty version of it. Perhaps I need to go back and uh, watch some more of it, get a better view of it, because I think my memory's flawed there. But um, thank you, thank you for the message, uh, Goblin, Miss Anshin. Hey there, Safer. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to your latest episode about sci-fi. And in response to the question you ask at the start, you know, do you play sci-fi? If not, why not? That sort of thing. But yeah, I do play sci-fi. I, Ironically, I prefer to read in terms of fiction. I prefer to read horror and sci-fi rather than actual like fantasy literature, although most of the games I run are fantasy. And I think for me, that's because when I was sort of starting out gaming, the, the sort of fantasy systems like D&D, they were sort of pretty generic. You know, you could make your own campaign world in it. It was sort of part of it. The world building was a big appeal and certainly a big part of like what drew me into it. However, a lot of the sort of sci-fi games of the time, in my experience, seemed to have like a setting or a world sort of like baked into it. So that didn't really appeal to me quite as much as the world-building options of like the fantasy games of the time, certainly when I first got started. Also, the sort of type of sci-fi I prefer to read is, I don't want to call it the sort of highbrow sci-fi, but I like sci-fi where it sort of poses like a, a problem or maybe like a moral quandary, and then the, the story is sort of dealing with the implications of that and the effects it has on people, which is great when it comes to fiction, but as a GM, a lot of times I just want to relax and like run a game. I didn't want to have to be like grappling with those issues when I was running a game. And also there were issues with like high technology and what sort of technologies are available. And for me as a GM, there was just a lot more to think about when it came to like doing science fiction. And I suppose I found that pretty intimidating. Whereas when I was running a fantasy game, there were a lot less of those elements that I found intimidating, and I found it fairly easy to sort of get used to running a fantasy game. That said, because I'm like I'm I'm a sub D and D sort of OSR player, 
that said, now there's a number of different sci-fi options that I have for OSR games like White Star, Stars Without a Number, a few others. I like the old um, D6 Star Wars game, and I've even played a bit of the FFG game. And I really enjoy particularly the, the sort of Stars Without a Number and the White Star because they have that sort of generic sci-fi feel where like i can make my own world i mean stars that number really has like sector generation sort of toolkits in it that you can use to sort of get yourself up and running fairly quickly and that removes a lot of that initial barrier that i found for running sci-fi games so i'm quite happy to run them now that said i do normally default to fantasy when i'm looking to run a game and i think that's partly because the sort of world creation, just doing one world for a fantasy game can be sort of quite an effort, even if you're being a bit fast and loose with it. Whereas creating like an entire galaxy, universe, etc., is a much more Herculean task. That said, I do like White Star. I've run it a fair few one shots at um, the UK Games Expo, and I've played in a few Stars Without Number games that I really enjoy. And like, there's a great website called Sectors Without Number that lets you just like randomly create a sector of space. So I think probably at some point in the future, I'm going to get around to running a bit of OSR sci-fi. Anyway, enjoying the episode, dude. I'm going to get back to listening to it. Take care, stay safe, and I'll catch you soon. Hello there, John. Thank you for that message. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Um, it's always nice to have a message from my creator. So, <laughs> yeah, but um, obviously, I mean, some of the things you're saying, I've never played any of those games, and... Um, and I, I don't know as much about sci-fi games as you do. I, I was listening to some of your, um, I was watching some of your Damascus Sector uh, YouTube video, uh, the, the second session, and uh, I watched about an hour of it. Uh, I probably shouldn't go and finish watching that, but um, it seemed, you know, you, you, you seemed, you said, you said, I mean, if you were saying you weren't tempted by sci-fi, then woof, what, what chance have any of us got? Um, but you seem to run that game in your usually, you know, smooth, laid-back, confident manner. And... Um, I was quite impressed with it, but I got the the way you the the crew that you had. They were like looking for jobs, and there were it's quite a bit of resource management. They needed to refuel and restock because uh, they just escaped from a, another planet. Um, but it got me thinking that perhaps one of the ways to play a sci-fi game would be to play almost like a West Marchers game, you know, with a base of operation, instead of having to just create a whole universe like a sandbox on the fly. Just create a West Marshes game where where you just arrange for a job to go somewhere, and then that allows the GM to 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 make that job to make that game for the next session. So just decide where they want to go and then commit themselves to it. I think that might be a good idea. Um, I also was like the, the thought of creating a a galaxy on the fly, a sandbox. I would think I would need a game with an awful lot of um on the fly random tables to help me out because I just wouldn't be able to create things. I did think um. You know, you you mentioned uh, sectors without numbers there. I, I thought perhaps you could use something like No Man's Sky to create your sectors with, you know, just because that's procedurally generated. I don't, I don't think you could have the, the, the game open while you're playing. Uh, I, I think the star maps are a little bit clumsy in uh, No Man's Sky. But you could perhaps go in and just just map out a few sectors using uh, No Man's Sky to at least, at least build you a few systems, a few solar systems and a few planets and give you a few... Uh, environments and ecosystems to work with i mean you wouldn't want to copy the um the economics and uh the cultural elements of uh no man's sky but i was wondering if you could use that as a sort of random generator tool but uh yeah uh, yeah nice to hear from you john thank you for your ideas uh, uh all the best to you take care hope to speak to you soon 
Hey Safer, it's Manuel, also known as Rob here. Um, thanks so much for the episodes. Keep on coming on thick and thin, don't they? Um, yeah, I agree. I think it, the sci-fi is a little bit difficult to dig into because you do feel lost with the language and stuff. And it, unless you're really hardcore into um, sci-fi or you have a uh, interest in theoretical science, it can be a little bit um, a little bit scary to sort of. Uh, get in there and 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 probably make a mess of it whereas fantasy or even new world you you've got a little bit more leeway that i think and you can just let your imagination go run wild of course that doesn't include star wars which is more like fantasy than sci-fi anyway isn't it um as to chaucer yeah great yep the geordie accent is there and i think chaucer if you read it with scots or a geordie accent you get a lot a lot out of there um a lot of language is very similar so yeah beautifully read cheers man and didn't you do the West Coast thing about uh, Shakespeare? If if you didn't delete this, okay, I'm getting cross wires. But if you did, play this. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, what was it? The Jury Lane um, uh, uh, playwright. Um, name escapes me. Sheridan. Sheridan. He did um, He did the rivals. Um, you, you get a lot of the West Country accent in the rivals. Uh, he plays around a lot with the accents. So, yeah. Um, and you'll hear a lot of double negatives in both Sheridan and in Shakespeare. Obviously, the Sheridan is much later. Um, you're not supposed to say "I ain't done nothing," apparently. Um, but you know, it's it's in uh, Shakespeare. It's very good Shakespearean English. Um, the double negative is very common in um, in uh, Indo-European languages, in Western European languages. Um, but it's uh, frowned upon because, uh, well, who knows? Because the grammarians don't like it. Anyway, cheers, man. Bye bye. Uh, as a as a brief note, I do remember as a kid, um, and this is in Hampshire in England, and I grew up in a new town area, and uh, a lot of people have mixed accents, and typically from London, because of the London overspill. But I remember the new kids coming, uh, when we went to the new the big school, you know, the, the senior school, the kids coming from just over the hill, um, from a, a village within our town, um, and they had country accents, you know, and it was just um, a mile away. And that was the difference between like our our new town um, uh, area, built up area and just over the hill. There was a different accent. And I think that's disappeared now largely, but I do recall that. So there you go. I've remembered what I was going to say now. Uh, yeah, so my dad was from from Fife uh, in Scotland. And he would have said he would have said nicht as well. He would have used like just as in German, uh, licht nicht, um, and that would have been pretty similar for old older Scots. Um, what else? Yeah, I, I actually one of my my mates. He's from Dundee, and his mom, uh, no, his grandmother. This is right. His grandmother used to say, Ian, for the plural of eyes. And that that is uh, old English, and that I think Shakespeare still occasionally used Ian, and maybe it was in Middle English as well. So there you go. So these things, uh, you know, they they tend to survive on the the edge, the periphery of uh, the English speaking uh, uh, countries, and so the west coast and and the north of England is, and Scotland and places. Anyway, there you go. Cheers. Hello there, Rob. Uh, thank you for the messages. Um, I think. I think I must have hit on uh, your special subject here, Rob. Uh, I think you are a translator, aren't you? Um, so 
uh, multilingual. So I think linguistics is is probably your thing. So I'm not sure what I could add to it. I, I feel like I'm probably out of my depth here, and, and uh, you know, I'm going to be showing my ignorance or anything I say. But uh, yeah, great comments. Thank you for them. Uh, yeah, I I forgot about um, the Scottish. You know the the bra bricked moonlit neck the neck. I forgot about that. Um, I should have, you know, and uh, I think, yeah, perhaps uh, Scottish is perhaps closer to uh, Middle English than perhaps Jory is even. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of things uh, in the Scottish accent that are close. I think, like, uh, the German word for breakfast is, I think, it's, it's is it breakfast? And the, I think the Germans say that English people can't say that word, and the only people that can get anywhere near it are the Scots because it sounds a bit like, like okay, the new, like, breakfast. Uh, so, I'm not sure if I can do it. And I think some Norwegian words, some North Norwegians, I think, speak say things in a sort of similar way to Scots. So, um, yeah, it's all there. The heritage is all there. Um, oh, I would just like to say before we go on, you know, I understand you've been not well recently for Christmas, so I hope you are better, Rob. I hope it's not what we feared, uh, and I hope uh, Christmas isn't going to get spoiled. I hope you have a nice day today. Um, and I'm and I'm glad you like my reading uh, of Chaucer. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine any other... Academics would have appreciated it. Um, well, you, you know, you're saying about um, Shakespeare and that. I, I listened to some of uh, Ben Crystal's original pronunciation, Shakespeare, and I really loved it. I think it was the first time Shakespeare ever spoke to me, to be honest with you, uh, um, Rob. Um, before that, I just thought it was this elitist defeat thing that had that had nothing to do with me. And then when I listened to Ben Crystal's, I realised that is my heritage. I felt like... I felt a bit angry at the time. I thought, like, actually, you know, there's just another thing that the rich and elites have stolen from the common man. But I feel like Ben's given it back to the common man a bit. I understand, you know, it's it's quite popular in like America and Canada because they are the inheritors of that sort of West Country English heritage as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I love the way that he's opened up. He's, re he's, he's found new hidden meaning in Shakespeare and little... Yeah, um, little crude, dirty jokes that they hadn't realised were there, and I think it changes the energy of it so much. But um, uh, yeah, but thank you for your comments, Rob. Again, a bit like with uh, John and other people. For I'm, <laughs> I don't know what to say because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out my depth with everything that you've been saying. Everyone's been, everyone is more knowledgeable about all the things they've been saying than I am. But uh, thank you for your comments and take care. Okay, well that's it. Thank you for listening. That's the Christmas special. Um. Okay, not a lot of role playing, uh, um, subject matter again. Um, but I suppose if uh, I don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about role playing games, I might as well talk about other things that I don't know anything about either in my podcast. So just uh, keep it consistently ignorant. Um, but um, thank you for listening. Thank you to uh, all the people that left me messages. Thank you to Jason at um. The uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thank you to Goblin's Henchman. Thank you to John uh, Large at um, the Red Dice Diaries. And thank you to uh, Rob from uh, Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. Uh, I wish you all the best. I wish you a peaceful day and an enjoyable day. Um, maybe speak to you in the new year. I don't know. Um, I have been sort of hijacking other people's podcasts of late. I've been sort of uh, squatting on other people's podcasts by sending long messages to other people's um, outputs. So uh, I don't know. I, I still haven't really got any ideas, but it's uh, been nice to uh, speak to you again. And I hope you have all the best. All the best for the new year. Take care. Oh, there you go. Another mistake. 
Uh, I'm still keeping the gorilla podcasting tradition alive. Uh, I forgot to thank uh, Edwin. So uh, thank you, Edwin King, for the the open your opening message at the start there. My apologies. All the best to you. Take care. And thus doth conscience make words of us all.